welcome to Beyond Beckdale, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host, Contrera. episode of the podcast is another specialist subject and is a chat I had with Stephanie Davis who went from actress to marketing specialist back to actress and then to filmmaker and has completed her feature film. I hope you enjoy this. It was a really interesting chat. from you know your mega famous female film directors um it's such a hard business for women to get into and particularly to make a feature and so I kind of wanted to speak to you particularly about your journey because it's such a thing to be proud of and I kind of want the pod to be about um making sure that any woman or, you know, female-oriented person uh, can have the same opportunities and take the same chances that any man in the film and TV industry does. So I kind of wanted to speak to you about your journey. So how did you decide to get into filmmaking? So I moved to Florida about six years ago. And at the time, I had a finance degree. I was working in a corporate bank. And I left the Midwest because of my migraines. And I thought, you know what? I played it safe all the time. Maybe I should try something that I really want to do. And so I got into acting again, um, which was really fun. And I really enjoyed it. But then the roles that I was seeing were kind of boring. The (laughs) female characters were very flat. It was mostly about showing their boobs or (laughs) covering them in blood. And neither of those things are things that I wanted to do. So I'm like, well... Why can't I just make something for me? And that's where Migraine Hell came in because with my migraines, I was like, well, this is a very personal kind of story. And I thought it'd be really fun to make a dark comedy about my doctor's office visits. And I Googled and asked people about how to do how to make a short film and just kind of started from there. After that, I was like, well, shit, let's do more. <laughs> So talk me through that process then. So you say, oh, you wanted to do it. Was it because you were seeing other people you were working with doing it? So did you have any formal training? No. My only formal training is with finance. So, I mean, I knew how to budget. I knew how to keep things in a budget, how to um, kind of work with the money aspect of it. But the filmmaking part had no clue. I just knew how to be an actor. And so... I kind of, I brought on people who knew way more than me, like a good cinematographer, good sound person, someone who can AD for us, a script supervisor. We had a gaffer, um, a couple ACs, and we just kind of kept it small. And we um, just all worked together and made this fun little seven minute short, no, it's like 10 minutes, 10 minute (laughs) short film. Um, and I brought on an editor who, um, knew way more than me as well. 
a composer, like all these people have all been working in film. And then myself and my actor friends, we just acted in it. And then it just kind of went from there. I so I think that um, you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice because I think you did kind of had training. It was like, I'm guessing it's like on the job, just being there, seeing people, trying to understand what their roles were, what you needed, the bare minimum. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you said budgeting, so you were paying people as well. I think that's an essential part of it. It's always a bit better when you can wave some dollars in their face, even if it's only like, yeah. you know, absolute minimum pay yes um, it wasn't much but it was something and a yeah. lot and you know a lot of us freelancers we don't get paid anything but what's you know I was at least able to offer some gas money and a little bit of something extra and everybody was really passionate about the project and so it really worked out well yeah I think it's amazing um I've just finished making a short myself it's only um four minutes 30 but it still took like three weeks <laughs> to yeah. do everything it's a well, lot yeah you, you learn a lot about the, the entire process, and I absolutely loved it, but I I always tend to do things on my own because you just think, oh, if I don't do it, it won't get done. And it doesn't even have to be about creative vision. It's just more about, you know, that passion for your own project. But you kind of highlighted then that already you, you realised you needed other people where you didn't necessarily have the expertise so what happened with migraine how then so you make this film so how long did it take you to make we shot it in two and a half days Mm -hmm. um and then we also did a couple promo teasers in a a friend's studio which was fun then we did festivals I learned a lot about festivals that way um and now it's on Amazon Prime um it's also on some other streaming platforms through Film Hub which is a pretty awesome site to kind of help get distribution. Mm, Um, but it's, it's on Amazon prime right now. You can stream it for free if you have prime. Um, and it was, it was just a really enjoyable experience. And like four months later we made another short, it's like, well, that was fun. Let's do something else. <laughs> I think, yeah, the first thing is when you start to do it, you get a taste for it. And also, you know, it's not impossible once you've done one. So can I go back quickly to the festival? So can you give listeners a bit of like insight if they want to make something about kind of what you do after you've made it? Because promotion is kind of key here. So were you sending things off? How were you getting in touch with people? That kind of thing. Uh, there's a website called Film Freeway, which is an amazing resource. Mm-hmm. I would also even recommend looking into festivals before you shoot the film um, because you can get an idea of when their early bird submission is versus a later submission. You'll save money that way. Um, also, if your film isn't a good fit for a festival, you can kind of get an idea of what, what festivals you want to do, which one you're aiming to premiere at. Everybody wants to premiere at Sundance, but <laughs> you know, have your backup plans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but just kind of getting an idea of these submission deadlines. Like there's some festivals that are just for horror. There's some festivals that are just for rom-coms. There's some that really like that really indie vibe. There's some that go for something completely different. It's, uh, and it's also good to get to know your local festivals too. We, we do screen a lot at our local festivals, which gives us an opportunity to do Q and A's, to talk to people about our work, to show people what we can do. Um, and also to just kind of network with other filmmakers about collaborating. So it's festivals are, are pretty good in order to get your film out there, get people watching it. It's also a really exciting experience to watch something that you made on a big screen. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
it's very anxiety driven. It's (laughs) also really, really exciting. (laughs) But I I mean, I would definitely look into festivals before you shoot and just to also give you an idea of the timeline. Yeah. And I think an important thing just to bring up as well is that, you know, it's very rarely free to enter as well. So it's something, yeah, to build into your budget is that, yeah, because I have film freeway and it's amazing. But then you realize that if you wanted to put the film in for, you know, 10 festivals, you've got to find that money somewhere because that's how that industry works it has to make money and it does from entrance as well as staging and things like that thank you that was a brilliant answer okay so so um yeah so then you made so tell me about your next short then so what was the next our next short was speed dating which is actually our most successful short on youtube right now um with that one after you make you know a pretty minimal cast one location short you decide, let's do 25 cast members and all kinds of <laughs> continuity for this fun little comedic short. Uh, we filmed, we did film that all in one location. It was at a hotel that was very fun. Um, but we had 25 cast members. Everybody got gas money. Um, I fed them all. And I kind of <laughs> stepped away from being an actor and stayed behind the camera being the AD and somebody like organize and the production manager kind of like organizing everything. So I jumped like feet first into the meat of everything. And it was really fun. It was crazy. We did a casting call for it too. Mm -hmm. So we did, you know, auditions. That was really hard because we had so many really great actors and not everybody could fill the roles, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but it was so much fun. My friend, Cindy Crapful was our director So that was her first directing experience. I was her AD. A friend of ours was the cinematographer. We had the same sound guy. It was a really just fun experience. And, uh, and a lot of people really connected with it. Um, anybody who has ever done speed dating knows how (laughs) ridiculous it is. So there was a lot of laughs to be had. And a lot of people afterwards on our screenings, I was just like, yeah, I've been on those dates before. (laughs) I think it's so nice to see something that puts up a mirror to something like that's really stress inducing and makes it funny. I think if you add humor to something, then it can definitely make everyone feel better. Um, I don't even know whether people speed date as much anymore now. Now it's all apps and everything. It's almost over time, isn't it? It's kind of weird. But um, and how did you find being an AD then? Did you have to shout at people if you had 25 cast members? Yes. <laughs> to shoot everything and we shot it in two days um but pre-production was definitely a big part of this especially with all the moving parts because not everybody was available for Mm. the whole day shooting so we had i think a three-hour window where we had everybody and we could do these big master shots um but a lot of the the tables and stuff it was just those four people that were there um and and nobody else was was in the room so it was a little bit of a challenge continuity wise to make sure that okay well did we see that person in the shot all right well if we did then we need to move the camera a little bit so we we don't notice that they weren't there anymore or you know do specific shot we did a lot of coverage so that helped and then I also edited it which was the first time I ever edited anything and that was an experience (laughs) (laughs) how did you find that I do think that um 
they say don't they that movies are made in the edit and until I started doing it I didn't realize how difficult it is but when the magic hits it's like wow we moved from that shot to that shot and it works and it looks like it's it's simultaneous yeah Yeah, so sorry how was your editing experience uh it was hard (laughs) I had no clue what I was doing I started with just kind of one chunk and then expanded from there thankfully this was a lot of like different stories all mixed into one so tackling it one chunk at a time um really helped a lot but editing is rough but once like you said (laughs) once you start doing it then you realize like oh this is super important I really need to make sure that this is flowing right Mm -hmm. I got a lot of feedback from people who are way better editors than me which really helped um sound editing I'm still trying to learn that's hard um coloring um is a little bit difficult Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of get you again jumping in and and seeing what happens yeah I quite enjoyed the grade actually because um well I say that but then when you realize it's not matching up it's you just notice it 10 times more and that for those listening that's obviously the bit when you add the color and you you bring up your darks and and brighten and and change things so you can give your movie a kind of a different feel to what was actually shot in your post-production um yeah our editing is a skill all of these things are separate skills that's why in these big uh you know in the movie industry you have those um pages and pages of scrolled uh names and when you're trying to yeah. do it yourself you realize wow I've got to learn all these different skill sets which are all individual but relate I think it's um I think it's amazing that you just dove straight in because I think that's the way to learn and and another thing I found out about coverage as well is that I'm just learning as I go definitely because you think you don't realize how many times the actors and all of the crew are doing what looks like the same thing to get this 10 second shot. You may spend two hours doing it from all these different points of view. And it's really opened up my um, kind of enjoyment and appreciation of other things that I watch. When you, when you know that someone was, if someone does, you know, like four quick cuts to four different points of view, you're like, well, either they had, you know, if it's a big thing, they probably had 10, cameras but um you know they had to reset and move and change and keep the time of day it's um doing it yourself is just a really good way of appreciating the movie industry I for think. sure um are you sure about this because because i can do it it's now or never i've got to do this myself I can, I can do this, you know? This is, I, I drink wine this. way too often already, so it's good. Yeah, okay. Okay, um, you, you go slow and steady. This is like your honeymoon. Yeah. It's the wedding night. Yeah, it's like, it's like getting get an inch. Oh, hello, time. sailor. And you're gonna be inside me now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, we're we're down. Down. Okay. Oh, we did it, we did it, we did it. Oh my God. <laughs> So, okay, so so now I think we should get to the big feature. So tell yeah. us about Hot Mess in a Wedding Dress. We shot it a year ago, like now, also. Like, okay. I'm looking at my phrase on Facebook. 
And it's like, I think um, right now is when we shot like the second to the last day. Mm -hmm. We shot it in eight days, which is insane. Absolutely mad. Like, I don't even know what I was thinking. And I think it's important to say as well to listeners that... um, uh, there are there are multiple characters. This is a full length feature. There are multiple locations, not too many, but a few. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know this is something that takes a lot of work. So eight days is is a really short time period for what you're achieving with a full film. Would you mind um, giving a brief synopsis of the film? So there's, we're going to link to it so people can see it as well. But um, yeah, if you can start with that, and then we'll talk through your whole whole process from the beginning, if that's all right. Yeah. So it's kind of your, it's not a typical rom-com. Bella is not your typical bride. She and her fiance, they're madly in love, but she's not really connecting with the ceremony, the dress, anything that has to do with the wedding. Mm -hmm. She's just, she's not getting it. So her mom suggests that she puts her dress on and just kind of, you know, dance around in it and like get a feel for it, wear it around the house. And then she spills red wine all over the front Um, so she has to kind of make a decision. Does she clean it? Does she find a new dress or does she just embrace it and keep going? And she and her bridesmaids decide that, you know what, we're just going to keep going with this and it gets pretty rank by the end. (laughs) (laughs) It's disgusting. It's not the nicest looking wedding. And it it has stains on of all different colours as well. (laughs) There's a whole lot of things going on there. And I think there's grass and, yeah, various other things. Don't want to spoil it for people. (laughs) But, yeah, it it really is a film that, yeah, it's like a, I don't know, like a, I was going to say a self-love rom-com, but that sounds a bit wrong. Um, uh, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. It's mostly a character study, so it's more about character than the actual thing that's happening. Everything everything that's conflicting about Bella is all inside. It's it's all that's within her. It's not Mm -hmm. like, you know, her and her fiancé are getting in a fight or somebody's getting into a fight. It's all her insecurities, her issues, and how she deals with it. And how she kind of goes on this journey to being a girlfriend, to being a wife. Um, And it's just kind of a different way to look at it, especially Mm. nowadays. It's not, we're not in a traditional, you know, marriage setting now. There's so many different ways Mm. to be a spouse. Yeah, but I think that it's not even, I took it, as obviously I can't tell you what your film means, but I suppose when you put it out there, people have all different interpretations. I really took it as... Actually, the whole, the, the, the wedding and the marriage and her fiancé, in fact, were, were secondary to mm-hmm. a personal journey that Bella's going through with what does this cultural stereotype actually mean to me? And I think that, um, w- you know, whether it's for better or worse, we are living in a world now where we're getting to really explore our individual feelings about things and a wedding and a marriage and, and everything that paraphernalia around that is so different and means different things to um, other people I just want to bring this up because this happened this morning I went on Reddit and um, I don't know if you ever see that am I the asshole section I don't know if you've, no, if you've really been to see that that sounds awesome yeah so basically people write into Reddit with like their queries and they're like did I do this wrong am I to blame are the other people to blame and the scenario was um 
a guy was at his wedding and his uh, bride became wife and gives them little disposable cameras and says at the reception, let's take pictures of each other and everything so we can have personal experiences of our wedding day. And he and the bride took lots of photos of him, him with his friends, their friends, you know, the cake and him and them together and him. And then he, the groom, took pictures of a seagull, um, some people falling on the floor, some food, jokey things like, and then he tried to get artistic and he took none of her, the bride. And so he's like, am I the asshole? Because I didn't even think that that's what she wanted. And then you have like hundreds of thousands of people to saying, yes, you are. You, you should be supposed to be looking at her through your eyes or, blah, 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 or others just saying, well, no, actually, it's your own experience of the wedding. It doesn't mean you don't love her. But I just thought it was really funny that I, I literally read that this morning because I think it, it dovetails so well with your movie because yeah. it's like every wedding is individual and we think we know what all these things are supposed to signify but different things mean different things to different people like the dress is the kind of is, is the uh yeah is the object that kind of personifies everything that Bella's going through whereas it might not be a wedding dress is a big deal but it might not necessarily be the most important thing to every bride it might be I don't know her dad walking her up the aisle or something like that anyway that's my little digression so how so if I got get this right, you were producer, writer, and director. Yes. So how did you come up with the idea? I went to Belize last year in May by myself for a week, and I made it a writing retreat. Um, I brought like a little. I bought a little notebook, and I was like, "I'm just. I'm gonna come up with these ideas and just kind of see what sticks." And I, I don't know what happened. I. I there was nothing wedding related about my trip, but I just came up with this. I had all this wedding stuff from a short film. I was like, well, we could do something with that. We <laughs> tried to destroy it the last time. It didn't work. Let's actually destroy it this time. So how <laughs> would we do that? And just kind of came up with this idea that um, of the way women view weddings and how much pressure we put on ourselves, how much pressure our family puts on us. And it just kind of all raveled from there. And mm. then, then I was like, well, they should be stoners because we don't see a whole lot of female stoners. <laughs> and well, <laughs> there should be, you know, this, this crazy um, journey inside downtown St. Pete because St. Pete is lovely. And like, there's just all kinds of little things that I just kept thinking about. And I fleshed out the whole first draft while I was on this trip. And when I came home, I polished it a little bit, had some people read it and get some feedback and a lot of people are like, this is a really interesting story. This would be really fun to do. And uh, just kind of went from there. <laughs> did you write an actual formal script? I did. Yeah. So um, I always start out with uh, a log line, which will turn mm -hmm. into an outline. And then the outline I'll flesh out into a script. But this script, we had a lot of improv. So it wasn't really formatted like you typically would. Yeah. I would have lines in italics that was like, improv moment, talk about sexual positions, improv moment, uh, <laughs> let the officiate just have fun, improv moment, uh, Bella, go do some fun things in St. Pete, and uh, just kind of let the actors play around with it, too. Yeah. The script itself was only 45 pages, but we it became a 90-minute movie, because um, we had a lot of physical moments, not necessarily dialogue moments, mm -hmm. and then we let, then I had the actors, like, doing a lot of their improv um, fun stuff with it, too. 
Yeah. Okay, so you have a script or you have, you know, the the bones of a script and then you said you talked to people. Were you using a similar crew that you'd used previously for the short? So people who kind of, I'm guessing, become your friends as well as colleagues. Yeah, it was definitely a labor of love with the crew. (laughs) These were all people I worked with before, a couple people that were new, but mostly people I've worked with before, some of my best friends. We we just had a, a fun time with it. We all really enjoyed ourselves. And so now you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, oh, I am less of an actress now and more of yeah. a filmmaker. So that must have been a well. It's, it's been nice for you. It's been like a gradual transition. Where and I, I just think um, the degree of control you get when you're making your own story, particularly from your side, where you know you, you have crafted it, plus you're directing it, plus you're doing everything about it. It's a real labor of love um okay so we have script uh, mm-hmm. we have uh, friends stroke colleagues crew that you need to get is casting the next stage here yeah um we did do a virtual casting call i already knew who i wanted to have as the bride and groom worked with them before they're brilliant like evie um she was the bride in an action short film that we did and so we still have the dress. It's still fitter. We had, I had a wardrobe person come and do a little bit of tightening up and cleaning it. Um, and then Sean Gloria, who played Victor, uh, he and I worked together for years. He's a really good actor. And then the bridesmaids are my two best friends, Lexi and Chelsea. Um, so we all, like, they all knew each other, like all the main cast. Yeah. They already had this great personal connection to each other. Evie and Sean would spend time together. Um, and then once Evie colored her hair, cause that red, we had her color her hair for it. Um, she and him were texting each other as Bella and Victor until we started filming. <laughs> so they really kind of prepped the relationship and it made it look so much more authentic on screen. Um, it was just very beautiful. And then Evie, Lexi and Chelsea have been friends for a while too. So their natural chemistry was just perfect. All the other characters, they were ones that, um, we did a casting call for. And a lot of them I hadn't worked with before. Um, the homeless guy, he came from Atlanta. <laughs> he has friends in Clearwater. He really does have a missing eye. Oh, my um, gosh. Um, <laughs> and he's hilarious, the sweetest guy. Um, and a lot of the, the other guys, like, I never worked with them before, but it was just such a treat. And they all brought something very different to the character. And the ensemble as a whole was just beautiful. Yeah. What did you do about um... – like permissions and things like that did you do a lot of location scouting and then have to make sure that you were allowed because you had some public places you were filming at yeah so the house was an airbnb and i was fully open and honest with the owner about what we were doing how many people were going to be there make sure that he read the script so that he knew that you know there wasn't any like stunts or anything so none of his stuff would be damaged and we also had insurance um, for all of the stuff in saint pete I literally spent a day, walked into these businesses, and they're all on the same strip. It's uh, Central Avenue. It's a very um, central location of St. Pete. Walked in and told them what we were doing, um, letting them know, you know, like, this dress is going to be gross. We won't need sound because I'm going to use music. Um, Is this okay? And nobody told me no. Like, I was so passionate about the story, about what we were going to be doing. Not a single location said no. They're like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Come do it. Can we do social media with them? Like, yeah, you can do social media. Let's let's do it. Let's have some fun with it. And uh, we spent two days doing all of that in and out in St. Pete. We were literally just popping in and out of locations. And then that food truck, 
has actually been featured on the MTV show Catfish before. Oh my and it's still recognized from that. <laughs> and a lot of people were like, you have to talk to this food truck. It's called Hot Mess. I'm like, oh, I called him and uh, I told him about it. And he's like, yeah, that's great. Do you guys, you know, want food? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we just don't have a whole lot of money. He goes, no, do you want food? Like, <laughs> donated um, uh, food to us. And it was just so sweet because he's like, well, how many people do you have? I'm like, eight, eight people for, you know, when we shoot. He goes, I will feed you guys. Like, let's have fun with this. Like, let's do this. It was so sweet. Like, the whole city was just so welcoming. And our film, we worked uh, with the film commission too, because all those murals, I needed permission from the artists. Yes. Um, we had a lot of things, a lot of moving parts. And the film commission was just so great about keeping me up to date with, well, make sure you have this, make sure you have this. We need these locations, um, these permits get the permissions. Um, I did a lot of paperwork. My, um, production manager, Jen Berkeley was a dream because then I didn't have to do a lot of that. She <laughs> took care of all of that for me. So if you're doing a feature, get a production manager, get yeah. somebody who is in charge of just getting all of your releases done, all of your, um, locations and just kind of keeping everything in check, contacting locations. So you don't have to worry about that. I think it's really important, yeah, to, to flag up again. See, I'm here for all the negative stuff, um, <laughs> that there's so much paperwork. Um, and yes. I don't think people realise that, that, um, you know, as uh, you know, there are guerrilla-style filmmaking techniques you can use, but for something that you're doing, when it's a full-length feature with, you know, a narrative structure, it would be quite hard to just run in somewhere <laughs> to a bit of filming. Yeah. Don't get and for distribution, issue. you yeah. need all of that paperwork for distribution, otherwise the distributor may not take your film. So you have to cover your entire ass. Like you got to get all of the, the, the dotted lines signed, like got to yes. make sure everything, everybody's released, um, especially artwork. Uh, it, it's just, it's super important, especially if you're looking into distribution. Yeah, definitely. So that's something to think about when you're, even at the start, when you're filming or before you're filming, think about the end game and what you're going yeah. to need. Uh, to get it out because it would be a shame to spend all this time, effort and money on something and then you, nobody can see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so we're cast, we've got permissions, we're going around St. Pete, it sounds great. Were there any problems? Did anything go wrong? Lightning physically <gasps> struck our set three times. Oh my God. <laughs> so day two and it was Right after we did the big wine spill, which was a huge anxiety moment, we only had one <laughs> shot of that. There was a lot of there was a lot of we only get one shot of something. So we rehearsed the wine spill quite a bit without wine in the glass. Mm -hmm. The girls, you know, had a cue to bump into each other to make it look authentic. Yeah. Um, we we did it, and then all of a sudden we hear thunder outside, and there's rain pouring down. I cried after that shot. By the Aww. way, it was so beautiful. Um, it was raining outside, so, you know, my grips and stuff, they were all, you know, trying to get all the lights inside. And then my gaffer and I look outside the kitchen window, and we see a bolt of lightning hit the backyard. And I'm like, well, that's a wrap for the day. <laughs> <laughs> At least no one was harmed. I thought you were going to say the higher power really liked it. I don't know. Yeah, God says, take and a break. Second to the last day, the apartment building that we were shooting in, um, it rained really hard. It's just hurricane season, and yeah. I'm an idiot, and we were making a movie during hurricane season. But, you know, everybody's inside the apartment. Me and my producer, who um, who is renting the apartment, we're outside on the porch just kind of talking about things, um, making sure everything's safe. And then all of a sudden, 
we hear this loud boom and mm-hmm. lightning struck the building oh and god. bricks start falling. Oh my god. And then I look into my at my car where the dress is and lightning struck right next to my car. I'm like, I don't know what kind of omen this is, but <laughs> take it. We, that was the biggest like constraint was that we were filming during hurricane season, which I learned a very valuable lesson about. <laughs> Everything worked out great, but lightning literally struck us three times. And I can imagine as well as that, which is obviously terrible, is that you also have things like, you know, the whole torrential flooding that comes with that. And then you don't have the continuity of your set. Although I'm pretty sure in Florida, it kind of dry, dries out quite quickly as well. Though. It, it gets that hot. So at least you have that. But um, yeah, timing really is a thing. I suppose if you know that you weren't... Um, you know, paying people too much because you get this whole thing with like overages and extra times and things like that where people are just sitting down and then you have to make them wait. But with this, I'm guessing when everybody's all friends, it's like you all muck in together. You'll just be like, okay, maybe we get up earlier tomorrow or yeah. we change And I things. actually planned for um, pickups um, because we yeah. shot, well, we, the way we shot it was we did four days and then we took Labor Day weekend off and then we shot four days. So there were some scenes where I'm like, well, that don't involve the dress, like the opening credits and her doing her makeup and mm-hmm. the additions and stuff. I'm like, if need be, we can move those to the second week when we don't have as much going on, yeah. um, which we had to do. But there was maybe two days where we got to 12 hour days. Everything else was about 10 hours, maybe mm-hmm. less. So it was really Pre-production is key. Like I just keep saying, like you got to fix it in pre-production. You got to plan for all these things. Yes. You need to plan for nothing to go right. <laughs> Everything's every like I always try to plan for a pickup day or a pickup half day. Mm-hmm. That's always part of the shooting schedule because you never know what you're not going to get or you never know what you might want to add. Um, it's just super important. But you didn't need to do anything once you were into post. You still, because you'd built that in towards the end of the reshoot, shoot. Yeah, we didn't have to do any yeah. reshoots. We couldn't with the dress. Like, yes. once that dress <laughs> once started, the dress. that was it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want dirty dress. <laughs> Left at the altar? Oh, no. Need the name of a good dry cleaner? Uh, no, just right in my vows or... Trying to, I guess. Hmm. Uh, um, that's not a good one to get inspiration from. But is it Romeo and Juliet supposed to be like the greatest love story ever? Um, like, it isn't in suicide. Oh. Oh. Here we go. Try this one. Less poison, more meaningful. Thanks. So is there a story? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to connect to the dress, you know? And one thing led to another and all this happened. Okay then. Did you look at rushes every day? Were you looking at things? Yeah, yeah. okay, so. Yeah. Um, so I was the editor, so I was categorizing everything each night. I was going through and I was um, getting screenshots of everything that we shot, uh, showing it to my producers and um, just kind of playing around with some things, making sure we got everything. And we did a lot of longer takes, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly for style reasons. I really think that if we would have done a bunch of coverage, we would have gotten lost in a lot of the the punchlines, especially with doing improv. But like girls on the couch, 
just keeping it that one shot with the girls on the couch and playing with the zooming in and out, um, you're able to kind of also be in the room with them, yeah. but also don't get lost with their jokes and their punchlines. And um, so that actually really helped us for time management and uh, for editing. Cause I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to cut to whenever I just had one shot. Um, but it, it just, it makes a difference. It depends on your style. And for me, I really enjoy kind of letting scenes breathe and letting the actors play in the playground uh, while we're kind of leaving the audience being in the room with them. Yeah. Did you find with improv, because I can imagine that um, there are pros and cons. The pros are, yeah. particularly with comedy, that you can get some gold that you would never get if you scripted it. But I would have thought that the downside is then what happens if someone did something brilliantly? And unless you, I suppose, you go back and then just watch the footage, it's like, can they ever quite repeat it so did you find that sometimes you you had to leave something on the cutting room floor which actually was great but didn't fit yeah there was a couple little things that may not have necessarily made it because it didn't fit continuity wise um but I mean my philosophy too a lot of it is that if something may not necessarily work continuity wise and I'm a script supervisor so I'm 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 like a stickler about continuity <laughs> but there was maybe a couple moments where Maybe the they weren't as in focus, but it was just a beautiful, brilliant performance. It might they might have just been a little bit out of focus. I left it in there just because you can forgive that a little bit yeah. uh, if you know you're really connecting to the characters and and these are just things that you also learn along the way and it makes for your next one to be that much better. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there as well about um, perfectionism, which is something that kind of is a like a trademark characteristic of people that make films, particularly from, let's say, a directing and cinematography perspective, but also film is anything but perfect. Any idea you have in your head, it's never going to be exactly the same when you finish it. So I um, I think, yeah, trying to, to keep it perfectly to at least your continuity is a great idea, but also embracing the fact that um, audiences, most of the time, you wouldn't know it from film criticism, but most of the time, <laughs> I think audiences want to believe. Like, mm -hmm. if something does go out of focus for a little bit, I don't think most people are thinking, oh, what happened to the focus pool there? You know, they're, ju they're just thinking, yeah. oh, for a second. People like that us way. do, because we're used to, like, that. because I'm the worst. Like, I'll watch something mainstream and be like, uh, uh, that, that, yeah. that <laughs> but I, I mean, most people are forgiving and even I've hardly ever seen a film critic talk about focus. The main things that they talk about are the writing, the performances, mm -hmm. the editing, cinematography, direction, like they kind of look at things at a, as a whole. Um, there may be like a line where they're like, there were flaws in some of the <laughs> yeah. uh, technical aspects, but I mean, it, it's more forgiving sound though. People don't forgive sound. No. So that's a big thing, like sound design, your actual recording. Um, we had a really great sound recordist, Ayla McKinnon, uh, and then we also had Ryan Wayland with us, and they really made sure that they captured some good, clean sound while we were there, and we would get on location fully as well, yeah. so I could integrate that into the sound design, and it's less that I have to do in post. The more that you can get while you're filming, the easier your post time is going to be.
Exactly. And I think that's another thing to bring up for the person who's new to this, the whole idea of Foley and ambient sound. Um, Another thing I've started to notice now since I've been making things is hearing things that I never, ever, ever considered before. And now I'm like, well, podcasting doesn't help as well, because that's all (laughs) in your ear. But um, uh, just you the the human ear just like tunes out so much when we're just walking down the street and when it comes to filming suddenly you're like wow this is a layer of a hundred different sirens and the plane and people talk yeah yeah, and a lawnmower and god knows what and then you suddenly think oh oh my god this is going to ruin everything when in fact you can because that's where sound design is such a clever discipline if you get the right people and learn even learn enough about it yourself you can integrate this um i just um had for for this season um i interviewed um emma butt who is a um adr yeah. and sound specialist yeah and i follow her on twitter yeah yeah she's amazing and um uh, she was telling me about Baby Driver and she was saying how in that film they integrated, they would like repeat a sound uh, into the music. Cause obviously that, you know, that's just like a sound design dream of, of a movie, yeah. but I, even someone, you know, me, I think, Oh, I know a little bit about it. I watched that at the cinema. I didn't notice that at all. Like as in particularly the integration. And then I watched it again and I'm like, wow, when you see this, you or hear this, you, you, you totally see like such effort sound again is exactly what you said. Yeah. People only talk about it when it's bad and people don't revere how complicated and time consuming and clever it can be. Um, For sure. Yeah, and how it sets an environment, especially when you've got your, you know, your transitions and your fades and you don't realise your brain is, it's doing, the sound is doing work because you're not seeing the visuals yet, but you're already getting the scene set. So did you, so you said you had a couple of people working on it. Did you have boom and radio mics? We had two lavaliers and we had one boom. Um, So sometimes we would have three people in the scene and so that was a little challenging but um, it worked out really well, and um, and then there were when it came to doing the post sound, I like a lot of the house stuff. I would put in like little birds and you know cars whizzing by, like those little 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 things mm. on a very low frequency, just to kind of add a little bit to it. Um, and then the opening credit scene with the breakfast that was all like on location fully, so uh, we all stayed quiet and we captured all those sounds of her making breakfast while we were actually shooting her making breakfast. And I really, I really thought that that um, added a lot to it, especially in the opening. Yeah, like the egg sizzle, that wasn't, that was the actual egg sizzling, um, you know, the fork hitting the bowl and stuff. Those weren't things that I just found online and added to them. Like those were things that we actually recorded right there um, during the scene. If you can get the quiet, then that's yeah. easier as well, because the timing is is a hard job in itself if you're putting additional sound. But, um, yeah, what a good idea, and a nice way to establish, like, reality, if you will, at the beginning of the movie. Okay, so, excellent. So we're, now we're getting to edit. How long did the edit take? It took me a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> it took a while, um, just mostly because as soon as we wrapped, um, I had left the area to go do, um, a job, my survival job, which is in marketing and, excuse me. Survival um, job. I like that term. Don't have a survival job until this is our only thing that we do. Uh, which is actually what I'm doing now. Like that I'm doing my survival job while I'm giving myself like a six month writing 
binge. I'm writing like crazy while I'm working this marketing tour. Um, But I think quickly, so sorry, I want to talk about the edit, but I think just because you brought this up, I think this is a really good thing to like emphasize as well, that it's like movie making is a full-time well-paid job for so few people, but that does not preclude people from making movies and you are a living embodiment of how you can make this work so you have to no one's going to give you permission Mm. if if you want it done you got to do it that's that's all there is unfortunately fortunately unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) well yeah there are other things so the the thing about making a movie particularly if you're yeah from a production directing side is you really are over everything and as wonderful as that is it's incredibly stressful there must be some days I'm guessing there certainly is in my work where I can just go and let someone else be the boss the beauty of like actually being the boss on the film is like that that's all my ego needs I don't need it in anything else I'm like just give me the donkey work I'll do it I'll get the money (laughs) I can think I can daydream about something else so um it it is important to emphasize that movie making is it's the best kind of stress you'll ever have but it is stressful so sorry back to the edit (laughs) took a couple of months it did um I started out with the rough cut and so I just kind of cut everything together just to see how it would go and it it got to be about a minute 15 or a minute an hour (laughs) an hour it was an hour 45 to start with and I knew I was wanted to shave it down to an hour and a half. So I got my rough cut. Um, then I came home. My producers and I watched it together. Um, and I also had a consulting editor, somebody, a very good friend of mine, Dominic Smith, who's a very good editor. He watched it a couple times. It gave me a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took his feedback. Ironically, I went through men first. <laughs> it was weird. It was a little weird. I thought about it later. I was like, I went through all men first, and then I had a female viewing. But oh well. Um, so I had but was all the that because? But that was because it was people you knew. Because yeah. the whole thing about the industry changing is that it's not going to change overnight. Like just saying, "Oh, I want all female cast and crew for everything," is like a really great idea to have, and we should be working towards it. But you were, and, and there are some fields which are traditionally more male oriented, particularly many crew roles. So I think that. Um, you know, you you go to who you know, you go to where the experts are, and eventually you'll have a pool of more people to choose from. But you've also mentioned plenty of girls, I've noticed. Yes. It's like, you know, so um, I think, yeah, it, it, it's, I think the first step for us is you're noticing it. You're mm. like, oh, I went to guys first. But if they're helping you, then yeah. so It was a lot it. of help. And it was also kind of nice to have their perspective on it too. Yeah. Because there were a couple things that, um, they ask questions about where I'm like, oh, well, I didn't really realize that that wasn't obvious. Oh, well, maybe I need to look into that a little bit. Um, and then, of course, they all comment where they're like, why is she just doing her makeup? I'm like, <laughs> she's a bride. The bag says bride. She's testing it out all over. <laughs> like, like it's just guys. It was a guy thing. Um, <laughs> but they all they all gave me really great feedback, and so I was able to um edit it from there and I got it down to like an hour and I think 35 mm-hmm. and then um my AD and a lot of the female crew that I had and a couple other friends um we all we had a girls night in and we watched it and I just kind of sat there listening to their feedback listening to how they were reacting there was one guy there as my friend's boyfriend was there and um uh, when the wine spill happened he was the only one and he goes oh my god <laughs> 
he's a guy that understood. <laughs> about like all the different moments and got some really great feedback from the ladies and I ended up getting it shaved down to an hour and a half it was really good and so then I watched it several more times and kind of tweaked some things Mm -hmm. that were bugging me and finally um I had a cut that I was comfortable um sending out to film festivals Mm -hmm. and we did our premiere in March at the sunscreen film festival which is local they were amazing. They were promoting us at every screening, like telling people to come. We had a full house. I cried. It was great. <laughs> Aw, congratulations. Thank you. But you put the work in for that too. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm guessing like people probably like were so excited. Like I always am when I'm watching something, when you see somewhere you recognize, for it to be in you, because I'm guessing there are a lot of hometownies. So it's like, oh, my God, yeah. I've been there. This is great. There yeah. was a lot of people, a lot of people in the audience that weren't part of the film industry at all and you know they're watching it and then they see us do the Q&A and people are coming up to cast and crew and like telling Evie you know how great she did as Bella and then you know talking about you know, the efficient how funny he was and you know a lot of little moments and uh, there was actually quite a few senior citizens that were there and they all came up to me they're like we loved it and I'm like really you love my perverted wrong <laughs> old people can be perverts too <laughs> it was mostly the demographic is mostly women from 25 to 35 yeah but then I saw quite a few senior citizens like couples and I was like this is a little strange but maybe it's a secondary market and I guess it is (laughs) (laughs) oh I don't know I think this is a film for everybody it it might be targeted or it might initially you know that's that makes sense but you know women always want things that are angled towards them because there isn't enough that that is but at the same time people like a good movie and they like a laugh so yeah of all it was great it it was good to to hear some things that we I was hoping that was going to stick that would stick and then Mm. Again, with the big wine spill at our premiere, like <laughs> half the theater was like, ah! <laughs> oh, that must have been so cool to just hear the reaction. Yeah. I was like holding the people's hands next to me, like waiting for that moment. And it was really fun. Oh, well, yeah, congratulations. It's something to be really proud of. So I do want to talk about what you're doing next. But I think for now, let's go to what have you learned? Is there anything you can, any knowledge you can impart apart from check the weather? (laughs) (laughs) Or don't film in hurricane season. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Um, we could all learn that. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I learned was you need to have, when you're doing the feature, something you don't want to worry about Mm -hmm. is meals. And at first, um, throughout the whole thing, I was like, well, I'll do crockpot meals. You know, there's not many of us. We're going to do crockpots and, you know, we'll do sandwiches and we'll do something different each day. My sister saved my ass on the third day because she had the day off. So she can't, she wanted to make, she loves making creme brulee. So she made creme brulee for everybody. And then she came and cooked for us for lunch. Saved my ass because every single day, guess who forgot to make crockpot meals? <laughs> You had a lot of other things to do. A so. couple things, yeah. yeah. So something that I definitely learned a huge takeaway was even if it's just a PA that's devoted to craft services, you need one person yeah. who is completely devoted to craft services or even like your locations manager. Um, when they come in and they check in with the locations and check to make sure everybody's parked, then they focus on 
craft services, making sure that, you know, everybody's fed and they'll send a runner to go get more water and whatnot. Um, that was a huge takeaway from it. And same with having a good production manager, somebody who can keep all of your paperwork together because as soon as we wrapped, she handed me this, this binder that was just full of all these amazing papers that had everything <laughs> that I needed to get done. And I was like, huh, I don't have to worry about this. I'm just going to scan this all in and have it ready for, um, my chain of title and we're going to be good. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think that's, yeah, that's really good. So make sure you've got a happy cast and crew because they're eating and they've got full yeah. bellies and make sure that all the document boring side of things is taken care of by some, because there are plenty of people who are PMs and they thrive on being that organized. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's an essential part of it, particularly like you said, for everything distribution afterwards. Yeah um thank you so much for that um I think now we could maybe move on to the whole Bechdel test side of things if you want to so so um my first question I always ask everybody is what do you think of a Bechdel test is it something that that features in what you're doing or what you're watching I think it's a great thing um too many times we see a lot of tv and movies where the only things, and this is ironic that I'm saying this, the only things that the women are talking about are their relationships and the men. Mm-hmm. Yet I made a movie about relationships. I, I don't think I passed the Bechdel test. No, I think you do because um, yeah. you're because there's plenty of talk about the dress. The dress True. is not, okay. I'm making the dress not a male. So I think yours <laughs> She's is definitely like, female, yeah. Yeah, and everyone's <laughs> named. I'm, I'm giving you a pass. So, yeah. yeah, everybody has a name. Yeah, that's another thing too is, you know, you, you see a lot of roles where, it's like woman number one, woman in the yeah. blue dress. And it's like, well, can she just be Becky? <laughs> like, yeah. It's the easiest thing. Yeah. And Becky's like cool. And yeah, I think, I think it's a really great thing. I think people are starting to include it a lot more nowadays, especially in the indie world, um, which is great. And it's making the stories a lot more interesting. Um, Cause you don't want just everything to be about, well, how does she feel about her boyfriend? How does she feel about her husband? How does she feel about her girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's a lot more to it. It gives these characters more layers. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about in terms of, um, does it ever come up in things you watch? Do you, are you noticing it now that you know about it? Yeah, I'm definitely noticing it. One of my favorite films that passes is A League of Their Own with yeah. Gina Davis. <laughs> and Gina Davis is a, a warrior for the Bechdel test. Yes. And, women in film and uh I, I i've noticed quite a bit that female characters are starting to be a lot more complex and to be more about what they're going through internally and externally as we get more women behind the lens too we're telling these stories a lot differently um especially in a mainstream setting like wonder woman is a superhero movie that was told very differently because you have patty jenkins behind the lens um you know if we had Zack Snyder doing Wonder Woman, it'd be a completely different film. It would be Wonder Woman upskirt the movie, so yeah. that is my opinion. <laughs> so, yeah, because that's kind of Justice League, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any favourite films that um, do not pass the test and you just love them anyway? Because I think... Um, I, I think a lot of people think that with this pod or particularly with my work that I'm saying, oh, you can't ever like anything done by a man, which is like 95% of all cinema. So it's like, that would be depressing. Um, I mean, I really enjoy rom-coms. Um, I'm a sucker for a cheesy rom-com, like those Hallmark movies, the Lifetime movie. <laughs> so, um, 
I love the film 27 Dresses with Katherine Heigl. Oh, me too. And, uh, I just, I love, there's a film with Anna Ferris called What's Your Number that I really love. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that one passes, but it's really funny. <laughs> It's a good movie. Oh, also, so she's a fascinating person in herself because her podcast is really great. And yeah. she is clearly a really intelligent person and comes from this, you know, intellectual family and made all this success from these kind of, you know, the Bambi Barbie roles. And she knows yeah. it. And it's really, it's like, it, it's so fascinating because it's like, well, is she gaming the system? That's good. If she's getting these millions and doing this in the house bunny and what have you. And then goes into something like Mom, which I think is a bit, I'd say is, a, you know, a bit more layered and then yes. being more in charge. And I'm like, yeah, Mom. Oh, it's such a good show. Her yeah. and Alice and Jenny are She's just so good. amazing. <laughs> it's a really good dynamic. Um, but I also think that um, it's it's more complicated than we don't want women to play any, like, you know, busty, brainless characters. Yeah. It's more the fact that that's one example, and you should go and do that, and who's to say there aren't women out like that? It's absolutely fine. It's just if that's seen as the default and, um, you know, this whole women love children or women don't want to, I don't know, carry a gun or, or get revenge or something, unless it's a female revenge movie. I think you're, you're totally right about the complexity is something which is needing to happen. But it doesn't mean you, you get rid of all the tropes. I think everything's a stereotype to, to, to a point. It's just that variation. Um, oh, so what is your favourite rom-com then? Is it 27 Dresses? Actually, what's your number is my it's favorite. Your favorite. Like, I, it's, it's just all around. The <laughs> cast is amazing. The story is fun. And is it Ryan Reynolds? Who's the guy? Is it? Is it? Who's the guy? It's not Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Yeah. I've seen Captain it. America. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> you guys all have this ideal girl in your minds, and if our number gets too high, we can't be that girl. The ideal girl. Tell me about it. You know. You can take her home to the family. She's smart, but not smarter than you. And she bakes apple pies with your mom and plays catch with your handicapped sister. But then when you're alone, she takes off her glasses and puts on a vinyl catsuit. That girl doesn't exist. If she did, I'd be sleeping with her. And what kind of guy cares about how many people you slept with anyway? Decent guys. Have you noticed anything in your career or, or maybe something you've watched where something's really annoyed you because it has been sexist or racist or something that you, you found is have you have you come up against problems particularly in your filmmaking um not too much thankfully I have some really great allies um but there have been a couple instances where I'll talk to my friends and I'm like was this okay like should I be upset about this like I when I'm on other people's set I'm typically a script supervisor or mm -hmm. an AD which are typical which are you know more female oriented kind of roles because it's a very organized and detail oriented thing. Um, but there will be times where, you know, I, I'm doing a PA job and I'm lifting something and somebody's like, Oh, well let me get that sandbag for you. I'm like, Nope, more than capable. Thank you. <laughs> I, I actually, I say that a lot whenever I work in any kind of labor fields, like the marketing job that I'm doing, it's very labor intensive because we're setting up these big tents and this big footprint for these festivals. And I get every now and then somebody will try to, you know, grab something that I'm already lifting and I don't look like I'm struggling or anything. They're like, oh, well, let me help you with that. I'm like, nope, completely fine. This is my gym. I don't go to the gym. This is how, <laughs> this is how I get my workout. 
I think it's just, there's just, we're still thinking that women aren't as physically capable of lifting things. Um, and then I don't have children and I'm not married, but I would assume too, that once I get to that point in my life, that that's going to be something of a topic. Um, when I get hired on for film projects, especially if I have kids, it shouldn't be asked because nobody asked the men of it. But mm. I know a lot of people ask, well, how are you going to be able to do this and be a mother? It's like, well, there are people that can watch children while I go do the thing. <laughs> I think, again, maybe, but, you know, I don't know, like, when that will happen for you. Maybe sooner, maybe later. Who knows? But um, maybe <laughs> by that time, um, things will be better because it becomes more yeah. normal. You get more women in the industry. Childcare becomes a bit more of a thing. You get more men being um, primary caregiver. All of that's gradually changing, and I think that can only be a, a good thing for sets because it will be something that's built into a budget line, um, and there will be people there to do it. Yeah, that's a, that's um, that's a kind of deep rooted cultural stereotype which is you know to a certain extent is born out of fact it is still the the truth that the majority of childcare is being done by women and and the women want to do it or the or the you know or the men or you know the men try to help so I think that that's it's more something that just needs to be considered on the sets rather than us completely change who's doing what but I absolutely agree with you and and going back to lifting quickly so again I think that's another thing to tell people is that filmmaking is physical yes whether you like it or not it's um I would say things like you know wear comfortable clothes that's Mm. um that's something that's really important because you don't know if you're going to have to be able to show someone a shot which means lying on the floor or opening a door or standing on something creating something and yeah those sandbags me personally I'm happy if someone says they want to take them (laughs) I like go ahead go ahead but I know what you're saying you want you want the option you want to do this if you can do this you don't want people to default think oh you're a woman therefore you won't do this but at the same time I'm five foot also so I am a tiny woman <laughs> but I can lift quite and a bit like powerful. I, I, lifting. I have uh, I have a lot yeah. of strength in what I can lift mm. and people who know me know that but people who don't know me may not yeah. necessarily and I know it's a polite thing and stuff yeah. too but after you experience it every single day, it gets annoying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you should just be able to say it, which you which you did, because that's what you want to do. I think in the end, it's just about every woman should be able to do what they want to do. And yeah. it doesn't matter if it's bring their baby to the <laughs> film set or, or give that up for a bit and stay at home. It doesn't matter if it's do the lifting or ask someone else to do the lifting. But it's more let's ask a woman what she wants. She can answer and then we move on. So, yeah. Um, Well, I think, yeah, there's not much else now. Is there anything else you want to say about this process that you feel like you haven't covered, particularly maybe if you're thinking about other, uh, you know, wannabe female filmmakers? Uh, Honestly, one of the things that I really enjoyed about Hot Mess was that I found what my style was. Mm. Uh, For a short film, I did practical credits with, like, gift tags and chalkboards and stuff, Mm -hmm. and hearing the reactions in the crowd where people are like, ooh, that's cool. Ooh, I'm like, well, that's my style now, I guess. <laughs> so doing the opening sequence for Hot Mess by, you know, burning the cutting boards and having the labels on the orange juice and the, the little light box for the gaffer and stuff, that's now part of my style, and it still gets really good reactions. And I think it's just really important for anyone as an artist to 
kind of pay attention to what's unique to you because it's hard to be unique. There's so many things that are already done, but you can take a cliche story and make it completely unique and do it your way. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Um, It's just discovering what that is. And short films definitely help with that because you can practice on this smaller form of telling a story or um, playing around with a different kind of character. And then if that's something that really sticks, then you can look into making it a little more longer form in the form of a pilot or a feature or whatever works for you. The sky's the limit now. There's so many options. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think you're, you're right to bring up proof of concept. Yeah, it's like maybe if you, you want to make a feature, but, you know, you've never done anything before, you, you do exactly as you say. You start with something small, pick a scene, pick a character, pick some aspect of it, see how that goes, learn on the job, and then expand, expand, expand. Or you could still go and do something completely different. That's that's good too. I love that idea of the signatures. I did notice those things at the beginning. I think, um, yeah, that's another important thing to bring up that like there's a lot of creativity that can that can come into all parts of filmmaking like um when I've had some training people have said oh we do this we don't do that and like things like you know rules of thirds or uh, you know um, uh, 15 degree rule all of that kind of thing yeah yeah, and a lot of that stuff is important because if you're just doing a straightforward movie and you want to have two people talking you don't want everyone to be confused about where they're looking or what they're doing or how they're doing it so that's fine but at the same time that there isn't only um one way to do something so learn everything and then don't be afraid to experiment because you'll know when it's right when you when you put it together and you can re-edit two people can make a completely different movie it will be your personal experience or yours and your editors so um yeah I think we're just basically saying give it a go yeah might as well. You're going to fail, and it's okay. Don't learn. <laughs> yes, it's okay to fail. You're absolutely right. Um, so, what are you doing next, then? Uh, right now, I have a couple feature scripts that are kind of are ready to shoot. So, I'm working on raising money and to make my second feature. It's going to be a lot more involved with that one. A um, lot more days. A lot more cast mm. members. Um, I'll be using SAG actors for that as well. And I've worked with SAG before. It's it's great. Um, It's an amazing union. They're great to work with. Uh, And so just kind of getting ready for that. I'm currently on the end of a six-month work tour for uh, this marketing company that I work with. And so I've been writing like crazy. I've been writing out ideas and turning them into outlines. I have a stack of outlines right next to my laptop. (laughs) Been trying to flesh out some first drafts and just kind of working on the writing aspect of filmmaking. So that way, once I get home, then it's like, all right, let's raise the money. Let's make something. And then uh, I've also been thinking about getting back into acting a little bit. Um, So You need to write yourself apart. You're in the perfect (laughs) place. I think I did. On on one of my features, I looked at it, and it's a a horror film. I looked at it, and I'm like, why did I write myself into this? Like, this character is me, so I think I'm going to have to play it. (laughs) Good. And horror is the way to go at the moment. That's certainly the genre that's making all the buzz. Yeah, and and that one's a pretty fun one to do, too. Like, horror is really fun to film because there's so much you can do with sound design and with your camera angles and with performance, and it's just a very different way of storytelling. But I also really enjoy making indie dramas and making it about the characters and the acting um, 
and the tone, the color. Mm-hmm. There's just so many, so many different things. Like I, I don't believe that anybody is just a one genre kind of person. I think that you have so many stories within you and there's so many different ways to tell it. And so you can just keep going and, and make, tell it the way that you want to. And that's, that's who you are. I think that, yeah, that's, I, I think they're taking, um, that in a nutshell is find your own signature style, but you yeah. don't need a signature genre. Exactly. Yeah, try everything. Great. And where can people find you? Um, so my company, Bouncy Boxer Media, is all over social media. So if you just look up Bouncy Boxer Media, um, you'll see our website. We're on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I'm not as good at keeping up with all of my social media accounts <laughs> um, as I should be. I'm going to try and get better about that. You sound very busy. I think that's yeah. okay. <laughs> I'm on social media um, as Gypsy Filmmaker on Instagram, Twitter, and that's also the handle on Facebook. Um, And then Hot Mess in a Wedding Dress is currently streaming on Amazon Prime um, in the U.S., the U.K., uh, Germany. Um, It's starting to make its way into Latin America. I know it's in Mexico, Colombia, uh, Bolivia. Um, There's a couple other places, and it's going to start making its way to Brazil, too, working on some of the other territories. Um, It's also on Vimeo On Demand, uh, which Vimeo is an amazing uh, way that filmmakers can get the most revenue out of their sales. So if you do know of a film that's on Vimeo, just know that they get the most out of their sales on Vimeo rather than like Amazon, you get only half of what the price is. Um, With Vimeo, you get like 88%. So it definitely helps out the filmmaker to watch something on Vimeo versus Amazon. Um, but yeah, and Hot Mess and a Wedding Dress is also on all um, social media. Great. So yeah, just search for Hot Mess and a Wedding Dress, which is very catchy. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. I cannot wait to find out what you're doing next. But Stephanie Davis, thanks for your time. Thank you. It was so much fun. Thanks again to Stephanie Davis for a wonderful chat. And now for next week's episode, a little teaser where Audrey Fox talks to us about a very special woman. And she's constantly surrounded by this group of of men, male patients who are, um, she has power over, like she is the de facto leader of their day-to-day lives. And um, so she's in this position where she can really kind of like bend all of them to her will. So I, yeah, I, I thought she would be kind of a natural fit for, for the Trojan horse. Find out more on the next episode of Beyond Beckdale. See you then.